Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. In today's episode, I get to introduce you to a storytelling powerhouse trio. From envisioning to execution to the final product, Y'all, I have rarely ever seen such a well-produced and meaningful storytelling campaign as the Yearbook Indiana. In collaboration with Pattern, an Indiana-based magazine, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, or as we will call it, IEDC, has put their money where their mouth is to tell the stories of their local entrepreneurs throughout the state and highlight the impact of young companies on the state's overall economy. Because this conversation was so rich, we decided to split it in two parts. You will meet Polina Osharov, co-founder and executive director at Pattern, Morgan Allen at IEDC, and Julie Heath, who you already met in Season 4, Episode 7, and who has since moved on from IEDC. In this two-part episode, we talk about making the intangible tangible, crafting a powerful narrative, and hosting extraordinary launch parties. Let's get started. Welcome to a very special episode of Ecosystems for Change. I am here with Julie Heath, Polina Osheroff, and Morgan Allen. And we are here to talk about the Yearbook Indiana, which is one of these really rare milestones in ecosystem building and storytelling. When I first saw it come out, and for those of you who listened to the episode with Julie Heath in season four, you were there when it launched. It came out, I loved it, and I knew then that I wanted these three ladies on the show with me to talk about storytelling, because no one better to ask than Paulina, Julie, and Morgan. First off, ladies, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here, and I can't wait to spend the next hour or so talking with you about storytelling. Paulina, if we were coming to your ecosystem in Indianapolis for the first time, where would you take us? Well, I'm a little biased. So I will say, if you're coming to our ecosystem for the first time, there's no better place to start than one of the Pattern Magazine launch parties. We actually just had one this past weekend, and it was pretty epic. Uh, Julie and Morgan were there too, so hopefully they can attest to that. These parties showcase the vision that we at Pattern have for our city and state, and that's basically that art, culture, and creativity can help disparate things intersect, cross-pollinate, bring people together. So the parties are themselves kind of an ecosystem. We believe that when we get all these people in the same room around something they find interesting and exciting, it makes it so much easier to build community and trust. So they're kind of self-reinforcing tool that, that's a lot of fun. I think it's a perfect example of uh, a unique ecosystem that we have within the bigger ecosystem, entrepreneurial ecosystem of Indianapolis and central Indiana. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Paulina. I love me a good launch party and um, love, love the approach of celebrating this kind of work output. And you've spoken like a true ecosystem builder. Building trust and collaboration is what it's all about. Is why we're doing this. So thank you. All right, Julie, 
you were the master of mischief behind this project of the Entrepreneurship Yearbook Indiana. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your role was at the time and how this project even came about? Sure. In fall of 2021, Indiana's entrepreneurship priority was a first-time priority for the state. And we knew that there were entrepreneurship success stories hiding in plain sight throughout Indiana, and we wanted to spotlight them. We also had early impact metrics to support why this was a good priority. And I think it comes down to making the invisible visible, especially with success. It's a powerful tool for a new way of doing things. It's an asset-based approach. And in addition to asking how might we shine a light on what is working, we asked what format of storytelling will have a long shelf life that can be physically handed from one person to another when they see the value in it. Pattern, enter Pattern, a nonprofit dedicated to strengthening the creative economy in Indiana, had a decade-long track record of publishing eye-catching coffee table magazines. So that is where we started. Fantastic. Thank you. Julie, you make some really good points. And I actually want to follow up with Paulina. What is it that we like holding stories in our hands? Or is it just me? There is so much content virtually, digitally on, on Instagram that you see once and then never again. And yet somehow there's something about having that coffee table format. Why do you think that is? Uh, maybe digital fit fatigue. I like to think that that's part of it. Uh, I definitely think that there's something to be said for the tactile experience of just holding the book in your hand, the way that it smells, the way that it feels. Obviously, the beautiful visuals, all of those things contribute to having just like an overall big experience. I think that reading books is almost like a luxury anymore. Like who has the time to just sit on the couch and open the book. So I think maybe it gives people a sense of like, I don't know, relaxation and adventure at the same time. Absolutely. And I think there's just something to seeing your name in print, print, right? Not just in the phone book, which none of us use anymore, but 100%. having yes. something printed just has a different value to it. And I'll add the first reaction we get every single time we put a physical yearbook in someone's hand is, oh my gosh, this smells like a newspaper. And so it's not only the, the beautiful experience of flipping through the magazine, it's the texture of the paper, this, the printing press smell that really makes it this full immersive experience. Wonderful. Thank you, Morgan. Morgan, while I have you, um, you were deeply involved in getting this underway and then running point of this on the yearbook in 2023. Can you tell us what some of those big milestones were for everybody listening who wants to even get an understanding of how you pull such a project together by bringing different partners together, curating so many stories? What were some of those big steps that had to happen or that maybe changed course throughout the project? Absolutely. I will say we probably went through a hundred different Gantt charts for what this process should look like. Doing something that has never been done before is challenging, it's exciting, uh, but it also comes with a lot of pivots along the way. So there were five key milestones I just want to reference today. First was selecting the stories. So going through hundreds of nominations from our community and trying to decide who the 75 were that we were going to feature in 2023. Julie and I have a war room with a map 
physical map of Indiana and little points all across the state, making sure that we're highlighting founders of diverse backgrounds, diverse locations, diverse industries, diverse stages. That was a lot of data to manage. Um, and even in that process, I'd say we had 100 pivots uh, just in that room. Second was actually interviewing the founders. So I think this was where Pattern was a really, really great partner for us because interviewing hundreds of people was just a lot of work. So we have relied on Pattern to help coordinate all of the local writers, the local photographers that really made the yearbook what it is today. Third was the review process. This was a huge pivot for us. Uh, thank you, Paulina, for being flexible. But we had a hundred stories um, and we really wanted to make sure that the entrepreneurs and the support organizations that were featured were bought in on the experience and the story that we were selling. So we took a, two extra weeks in the timeline um, and made sure that we sent the draft stories to the founders and got their feedback which was a really, really critical step in the process and not one that we initially planned for. And then the final piece was the actual launch of the yearbook. So we uh, brought our timeline up two months. We were supposed to release it in January. We brought it up to November. Thank you again, Paulina, for being flexible. Um, but the opportunity of Global Entrepreneurship Week was just one we didn't want to miss. So we pulled together launch parties in, over the course of a month to bring the yearbook out into the community um, and get it in people's hands. Because as we talked about earlier, that's really where you see the powerfulness of the, the physical yearbook. Let me just clarify this. When did you guys start working on the yearbook in earnest? Which month? February. And then you brought the timeline up by two months? Yes. All right. Who do we blame for that? <laughs> who, who is that ambitious person behind the scenes saying, you know what would be a really cool idea is to cut two months off this process and get it out two months earlier. That's, wow, ambitious. It was, but we did it. <laughs> we did it well. You did it and you did it well. Fantastic. And the catalyst for moving it forward was Global Entrepreneurship Week. So we suddenly had quite a bit of opportunity to use Global Entrepreneurship Week as a focus point. So that is why we brought it forward. Brilliant. Um, well done, everybody. Paulina, out of all the stories, what was your favorite? Does anyone stick out as a story to remember from the yearbook? Gosh, there were so many great stories. Um, the one that stuck out to me, though, was an early stage startup called Aspire Group Media. It caught my eye because it was uh, about this kid by the name of Trey Nebergall, who as a junior in high school during the pandemic, he'd lost his job, but he had a, a drone and perhaps some photography equipment. And so he decided that he wanted to try his hand at flying drones for real estate companies and realtors to help promote sale of homes. He entered a couple of pitch competitions, including an Innovate Within competition, got some help from SBDC, and now has like a legitimate business as a, as a college student with photography and drone and other media offerings for real estate companies. He's got 30 repeat clients and growing probably, you know, weekly. This was a year ago that we talked to him. The reason it resonated with me is my daughter is graduating high school in about 
four weeks. And she is a videographer and an editor, an emerging videographer and editor, and flies drones. And so it just kind of got me excited about the fact that there are lots of opportunities for her uh, as a creative to create a business and have fun and make some money while she was doing it. So yeah, that's, that's, my, that's the story that stuck out to me. Hey, I don't want to distract you from this awesome conversation, but I do want to let you know that I curate a fortnightly newsletter with resources, events, and behind-the-scenes insights into the show. I would love to pop into your inbox every two weeks to hand-deliver those goodies. Sign up through the link in the show notes, and now back to the show. Julie, I want to come back to you. Obviously, or maybe not so obviously, storytelling is a really powerful tool, and I think what really matters is what that bigger story is that we're trying to tell by sourcing all of these little stories. Not that they're little, little, but you know what I mean. These individual stories make up a greater narrative. I was wondering with the yearbook whether you, A, knew what narrative you wanted to carve out and then when to find the stories that would support that narrative, or did you go in sourcing all the stories to then see what that narrative would be at the end of that process? It's such a good question because the impact of this work is seen in aggregate and state leaders can see the impact in aggregate and yet it's a ground game to do the work. So we started with some parameters for sourcing the stories as well as at least one desired outcome. The parameters included the mix of stories with 75 entrepreneur stories and 25 entrepreneurship support or data stories. We wanted stories, as Morgan said, from all over the state, as well as all types of businesses with demographic representation of founders. For the desired outcome, we wanted the reader to feel inspired by and proud of Indiana entrepreneurs. So we wanted the people who were interested in understanding or supporting entrepreneurship to be inspired. And we also wanted aspiring entrepreneurs to feel inspired. You can't be what you can't see. And so being able to make visible uh, these success story, stories, that was, that was really important to us. Doing the pre-work and getting really clear on not just why do we do storytelling, but what kind of stories do we want to tell is so important in guiding that process going forward. And you gave us some really good pointers on how to do that. Thank you. Morgan, I feel like the yearbook has only been out a second and you're already working on the next one, which is wonderful because I know the timelines are really intense because it's such an ambitious project. But as you're looking back onto the first edition of the yearbook, do you have a sense yet for what the outcome was? Did it change what you hoped it would change? Did it? Did you guys get any feedback? How might we leverage a, a product of such dimension to help us move forward as ecosystem builders? So I think the most powerful thing of the, the yearbook is making this intangible tangible. So historically, Hoosiers, people from Indiana, are extremely humble. We don't want to talk about our successes. We don't want to talk about the really, really cool stuff that is happening all over our state. Uh, the founder that Paulina referenced is just one of hundreds of examples uh, that we see all throughout our ecosystem. So I think the most powerful takeaway from the yearbook 
is really just getting it in people's hands and making it investable. So we can take the yearbook to city council up in Noble County and say, when we talk about investing in entrepreneurship, this is what we mean. The local ecosystem builders have been using the yearbook as a tool to get their communities to the table and to further invest in entrepreneurial ecosystem development. And we've been doing that at the statewide level as well. So getting the yearbook into our policymakers' hands um, has been one of the, the most powerful takeaways from the project. Wonderful. Thank you, Morgan. Julie, I know that every time we do something for the first time, there's a lot of learning. There's a lot of things we didn't know. Now you're going into the second edition of the yearbook. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the plan is? How is this yearbook going to be building on the foundation of year one? And to what extent is it going to be different than what you did in the first year? Yeah, you're bringing up an important point. When something hasn't been done before, there is no blueprint. And so sometimes we talk about it being the first pancake. And the first pancake, you never quite know how it's going to come out. Uh, in the 2022 yearbook, a foundation was laid that 2023 can build upon. In our Why Entrepreneurship story, we referenced how important Delgain's framework of the four waves of economic development was in this strategy. And so uh, building on that, the 2023 yearbook will include an interview with Dell with a lens dialed in on accessing entrepreneurship resources. Um, several founders who were highlighted in the 2022 yearbook are now paying it forward in their communities, convening and investing in the, the conditions for for the next set of up and coming entrepreneurs. So highlighting and, and illustrating that thread from founder to supporter is a big part of the 2023 storytelling. Paulina, I also don't wanna miss the opportunity to ask you about the operational side of things. What are you guys at Pattern doing differently this year from year one? So because we've done this before, uh, our approach in terms of how we are reaching out to the people that we work with, the photographers and the writers um, and the designers has been fine-tuned. So everything is just a lot more streamlined. We are actually having uh, our first creative brainstorming session at the end of this week to talk about how visually the book will be a little bit different. For me as a creative and for our team, we don't necessarily want to rinse and repeat the visuals. Um, there'll be a lot of similarities, but we also want to figure out ways to make it even better and more exciting and for people to flip through it and be like, oh, like this feels and looks different. And then maybe have an argument about which layouts they like better, last year's or this year's. So definitely more on the creative side of things. And logistically, uh, we now have a dedicated uh, project manager, which is super helpful as well. So this is going to be a lot less stressful than it was last year. Okay. All right. Maybe don't quote me on that. <laughs> maybe I just, I should, where's wood? I need to knock on wood. It's just... I was going to say, we'll check in with you in November and see, hey, okay. so uh, how did that stress level work out for y'all? Yep. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Morgan, I have another question for you that I think you didn't see coming, but um, I know that the state of Indiana is also working with our friends over at Ecomap. What is the... Is there a connection between storytelling and working with Ecomap? And if so, what is it and how does it align with some of the other storytelling efforts you're doing? Everything is connected. That's the power of ecosystems, right? So 
at the state, we have a quote-unquote strategic plan. I won't say a strategic plan because it's not a put it on the shelf and it goes stale in a month. It's a an, a live being that is adapting and changing every single day. But all of these things are connected. So we have the storytelling campaign, which is making the invisible visible and celebrating our founders and showing what that journey can look like. Our project with Ecomap, um, that is helping founders on that journey and that pathway to navigating our ecosystem. And then we also have the data project. We're working with Tom Chapman on an entrepreneurial ecosystem scorecard. So how, how can we make all of the resources both available and accessible? How can we tell the stories of the people that are leveraging the ecosystem? And how can we put the numbers to it? All of these things are connected. And well, our hypothesis uh, is make our ecosystem stronger over the long run. One other example of a connection is that in each one of the stories in 2022, we asked, what resources have you found helpful? So we, we planted some seeds in terms of trying to say, look, entrepreneurs are utilizing resources. And so being able to then connect the resources available with how they are utilized is a really important connection. I feel like you guys really thought of it all before you put anything out there. That's a very thoughtful and intentional approach. I want to change directions a little bit and go more so into the art of storytelling and narrative change, if you will. Polina, plain and simple, how do you tell a good story? There's so many stories out there, and yet it's incredibly hard to just sit down and say, let me tell you a story and make it engaging and interesting and insightful and something that makes people feel something. Since you're the master storyteller here, can you give us a little bit of insight into how we tell a good story and what your process is? Well, first, let me just say that the storytelling bit is a, a massive team effort. So I don't, I don't know that I'm a master storyteller as much as I'm a master cat herder. Um, <laughs> um, I will say, though, that my background is as, as a professional photographer. And so I, I think that for me, strong imagery that is supported by strong design is just as important as the, the written copy. So that's the approach for us. And I think why we've been successful as our own publication and as, as a group that helps clients pull things together is that we focus a lot on the visual storytelling and it, and it just makes it more appealing for people to look, touch and feel, and it draws them in to read the content. And that's, you know, having all of those components working together is what creates the impact fully of storytelling. That, that's kind of the, the skinny on that. Are there any sort of instructions that you give the writers when they set out to interview these entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial support organizations? Or do you just send them out, do your best work, and whatever you bring us back, we will whip into shape somehow? We kind of took that approach last year and determined that that wasn't the best approach. Um, providing more direction, giving them, the writers, more background on the subjects and on the founders so that they have something to go in with has definitely been the better way of getting the stories that we want. We don't have a lot of space. Each, each founder has basically a page and that ends up being about 350 words, which is not a lot of words to tell some of these stories that are really big. So we have to 
have a lot of intentionality around the types of questions and information that we want the writers to put into the writing. So uh, it's very, very hands-on. For the magazine, for Pattern Magazine, there's a lot of freedom. We just sort of give a sketchy outline. But for this project, we're a lot more like, no, this is kind of what we're looking for. And that's, I expect, will be super helpful going into this year. And I think one of our key lessons learned for 2023 is that telling the the story about ecosystem development is natural to all of us. So when you go and talk to a founder, it's like, of course, we want you to ask about the the people that have helped them get here. Of course, we want you to ask about the organizations and the, the tools that they've leveraged. But for our local writers, it, that doesn't click. They are experts on ecosystem development. So making sure that they are prepared um, and well-equipped for the, the angle we want the story to take um, is one of the key large changes uh, for 2023. Every writer will get a description of the founder before they go, um, and also the tools that we know they've leveraged that we want them to talk about. Um, so that way the end result doesn't require as much editing on Palmina's end. I can't even imagine what it would be like for a writer to try to write a story when they're not deeply embedded in storytelling. It's just like if someone asked me to write a story about beans, I probably wouldn't bring the right angle or perspective onto the story of beans. Cool. I'm, I'm glad you guys are thinking ahead on that. We're taking a quick breather here to let all these insights sink in. If you want to dig a little deeper, check out patternindie.com and entrepreneurshipindiana.com. Then head over to part two of my conversation with Paulina, Morgan, and Julie. Find out more about Pattern at patternindie.com and subscribe to their awesome newsletter while you're there. You can peruse the Indiana yearbook at entrepreneurshipindiana.com and check out IEDC's virtual ecosystem map at connectind.com. Mark your calendars for the 2023 yearbook, which will launch during Global Entrepreneurship Week in November 2023. You can connect with all three guests via LinkedIn. The links are in the show notes as always. A heartfelt thank you to my partners at Ecomap Technologies for making this season possible. Head over to ecomap.tech to learn more about how they use modern technology to make ecosystem information more accessible. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawandasatula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.